Hi, I'm Laura. Hey, I'm Stefan, and you're listening to Attributed, a podcast library by Dream Data. The purpose of it is to store and share all the knowledge that we have gathered across Dream Data employees through our LinkedIn Lives, podcasts, and webinars. The typical topics you'll find here can be stuff like marketing, sales, B2B ads, operations, social selling, maybe. Today, we're going to talk about content analytics. Not analytics, a little bit about content analytics to start with, but we're going to talk about getting our end gate in the content. That's what we're going to talk about. Content analytics will on the hell the whole day. I've got our CEO, Lars, together with us on the call, and he will be the main person who will be talking to you with you today. Cool. Hi, Thanks, Laura. Good to be here. Yeah. All right. So let's get going. The first thing about content the thing that is on our heads today. We have kicked off content analytics at Dream Data, content analytics product. It's a huge piece of Dream Data that has been kicked off live for all of our clients today. And we are featuring it on Product Hunt today. So if you're able to help us out on upvoting us on the Product Hunt, that will be very big help to reach as many people as possible that might be interested in this specific product. I'll put it in the chat so you can have a link and go upvote whenever you like. Enough of the ads. Now we're going to talk about gating or ungating the content. So as mentioned on LinkedIn chats and comments, Lars has a lot of opinions about gating or ungating the content, both from the personal side and also from the technical side. Why should you or you should not be doing it? So we can kick it off very slowly. If you have any questions, post them in the chat. We will be picking them up. I will be picking them up and helping Lars with the questions. And let's start. So Lars, which content do you think people should gate or not gate? Yeah, I, I think maybe one way of thinking is also maybe why are people gating content at all? Because maybe we should cover that first, because I think it's so fundamental. So now I'm going to say a few reasons I think you should, like why are people gating content, and then if people in the chat disagree, you have other reasons for gating or ungating. Just put it there, and we will we'll try to bring it into the conversation. But I think one of the main sort of like the whole discussion about gating ungating uh, going on in in the marketing community at the moment, I think is a lot about you can say lead gen versus demand gen where gating your content is part of sort of a lead gen motion. And the way I think about that is that you're sort of, you're producing content that is attractive for people to read and you put it behind a gate, get leads exactly. That's, <laughs> I agree, Guillaume, that's right. Uh, so people are gating content so that they can get emails uh, and then they can, some people will use them to run a nurture program. Some people will hand them off directly to sales and try to sell to them. And I think that is like a, a lead gen motion. And then what is often happening is that if you are, <laughs> if you're doing, especially the, the part about sort of just directly handing things off to sales, then very often those leads are very crappy, right? Because basically the me sort of wanting to read an article about uh, the, the sort of field that you are an expert in doesn't really make me interested in buying your product. I might be, I might not be, but I'm likelihood that I'm ready to buy your product is very low. But dating is sometimes done to sort of produce this flow of leads you can hand off to sales. Sometimes you keep those leads longer in marketing. You try to run 
maybe some email campaigns against it. You might have some idea that you can run automated emails against them and then keep a relationship going until these people might actually get into a position where they're interested in buying your product. I think those are some of the key reasons why you gate content. I can say one, one more reason for gating content is you can say not, not so much to get the email so that you communicate with the person, but if you want to get the email or an identifier of the person so that you know who it is that is looking at your content, I think that's a bit different. It's not necessarily meaning that you want to email them or that you want to call them or you want to sell to them. You just want to know that the person that got your content is actually this person. Uh, so that's another motivation for gating content. And of course, like it, it's different, right? So we at Dream Data, we, and I think most of the people here, if not all of us, we fundamentally think that it's great to give content away for free. The more people that use our content, the better off we are. And our impression is like a bit like what I described. If you try to co-call people that have asked for content, it's not, it's rarely successful, right? Because likelihood that they're ready to buy is very low. So we fundamentally believe in, in like giving the, the content away. But on but the other you, hand, yeah. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was just about but, to ask. If you were to hand, sometimes it, it is important to know who people are so that you later on can stitch together customer journeys and know who did what when you're selling, like when you're selling to a group of people, you want to have deep visibility into what actually went on in the sort of whole buying journey. And if you never ask people who they are, you will lose a lot of like the potential data that you could collect early on in the journey. So Nick is asking, would you class gate it as starting the nurture track? It could be. Some people mm -hmm. do that. We don't do that. So if I go back to like, what do we gate and don't gate? So we have the majority of our content is ungated. So we produce a lot of content on LinkedIn. That's free for everybody to consume. I think that's where our biggest investment in content really is. And then we produce a huge amount of, uh, of, of quality content that's released on our website. That's also free for everybody to consume. But then sometimes we take all of that content, we wrap it up and we do like a huge effort to create like a holistic view of a subject matter. And then we, like, we call it an ebook. People can call it different things. And like that piece we, we gate. So sometimes we will have this like larger piece of content that has like sort of represents huge amount of work. And that will gate. I mean, of course, sort of the pros and cons is like, if we didn't gate it, more people would definitely see it. But also if we didn't gate it, we would have much less visibility into sort of the early stages of our funnel of, uh, of people thinking about buying a product. Yeah. And now you're touching a little bit about the cost of gating. So as I hear the part of like early gating is that you earn the early customer journey to an understanding of an early customer journey. But what if you ungated everything? How would you be able to identify your prospects in the journey? How would you do that? Yeah, I think like, when you are, of course, you can, you can connect dots in early customer journeys by other means than sort of knowing who people are from an email identification perspective. But of course, like things like offering early access to your product or not early access, but instead of sort of just like doing a pure sales motion and then you can try the product, if you have the ability to give people access to your product early on, that also creates a lot of sort of identification 
of people uh, interacting with you. And it's and in that sense, I can see like if you can do that, it's more exciting because it's natural for people to give their email when they're signing up for a product or trying a product, or logging into a product. It's impossible to not give your email. There are definitely other ways of achieving this identification piece, but I do feel that high quality content, you can do that with it. And I, and I see like of some companies gating a lot of content, but also like high quality companies that I admire and that I think are doing really well, they gate specific content pieces that are very valuable. I don't think it's, um, of course you'll get like, somebody asked about fake form submissions, you'll get that. I don't know, in my mind, like a fake form submission is sometimes just expression that that person is actually not interested in buying. So, but maybe not a problem, right? Because it's actually just that person say, don't call me, don't do anything to me, don't interact with me at all. I just want your content and you, I want you to leave me alone. Yeah. And if you have some good quality content that you think you might like to gate, what is the cost of gating that content? You mentioned some of the things already is kind of, yeah, you might lose some of your prospects and so on, but what, what does it actually cost in time and customers or anything? I think that is, it's very hard to answer unless you kind of try to do it. Yeah. I think if we went at Dream Data and like if there's a lot of our content we couldn't gate at all. So the LinkedIn content, I don't see how we could gate it. We could, of course, gate our blog posts. I think the cost of doing that would be that nobody saw it and it would no. be just a huge waste. Hey, Camille, thanks. <laughs> Whatever it is, that's great. Thanks, Camille. So that would be the cost of that. And of course, I, I think it's any company at any given time will be in some kind of position. Maybe you're getting a lot of content, maybe you're getting nothing, maybe you're getting a little bit like we're doing. And I think it's, you can feel that you're in a good spot, but you can also mm -hmm. feel that you want to go to a different, in a different direction. Maybe you feel that you gated too much content and you feel, okay, maybe if I ungated some of this content, it would benefit the company. But how do you then convince, say you have a manager that you have to convince about ungating content because you believe that it's a good strategy. Oh, this I one think, is good. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's, uh, if you want to convince somebody about something, of course, you can try with arguments, argumentation always works. And you can bring sort of good cases to the table and say, like, these people had good results. They have data to support it. I think what the strongest sort of the strongest argument you can bring to the table, of course, is some kind of data that you produce and maybe some experiments. If you have a very good idea, like you want to ungate your content because you think that it's going to do these things to do it. Let's say, okay, if I ungate the content, more people will see it. And maybe I also believe that those people that see that content will go on to become customers, if I believe that. Okay, so if you can produce evidence of that, so maybe you can ungate a little bit of your content, and then you can produce evidence that, okay, more people actually see this content, and it also drives more business for our company, either as, say, pipeline or new business close one or whatever place you're measuring a value in your funnel, if you can demonstrate that to a manager or a leader, I think if he doesn't or she doesn't respond to that, then I would consider sort of um, maybe you need to work in another place. Like if, you, if you're working in a company where you're not, where the, where the boss doesn't like data, I mean, this is opinion, right? But then it's not a good company. But if you can bring data to the table uh, through experimentation and proof, uh, I think that's the strongest and not do everything at once because like ungating everything at once, it's a huge risk, right? You have at your company something that works 
you're growing 10% month on month or 8%, and that's good. And it's a mm -hmm. function of all the things you do. And now you come and say, I'm going to change something fundamental in our way of doing things. And I don't really know from a data perspective what will happen. As a leader, I wouldn't like that. I would like, I would say, okay, can you sort of demonstrate that this will work at small scale? And then if it works, we can scale it up. Right? That's a very good point. There's even a question about that saying that like what are some pitfalls when companies move towards gating less content what might be the pitfalls the companies might fall in david has asked i, I think so so the okay for me the biggest risk you do like if you are the person in charge of content and now you want to ungate it so before you produced some kind of value in the company it might be debatable whether it was good or not but you were generating emails that sort of represented some value in your company now you're getting rid of that right so now you have a challenge you have to demonstrate value in a new way so how are you going to prove or at least sort of make very like like make it easy for people to understand that this is actually like the content you're producing is really driving revenue so you need some kind some way of connecting consumption of your content to revenue and that can be super hard like uh consuming content on linkedin is notoriously like, practically impossible to track consuming content on your website and your own properties that's easier to track so at least like do yourself the favor and everywhere where you can create some proof around sort of value of content do it because otherwise there's a huge risk that you'll just be defunded right because you're doing something that is working and now you're removing the proof and all of a sudden somebody brings in proof of something else working what are you going to do i would say that's a huge risk yeah understand there are some people asking for examples Lars do you have some examples where you were kind of surprised companies moving from gated to ungated some of the things that you might have seen or experienced in your companies you worked at I think the main thing is like our experience from our own content but we never did a lot of gating we always gave away like practically we give away all our content for free and then we repackage it into something where you have to pay with an email now and then and I think that that has worked really well for us. We have a lot of proven consumption of our content. And also we can tie that consumption of content into, we can see that the people that are looking at content and using our content, they are also the people that are later buying. Of course, there's also many people using the content that don't buy. But when we look at the people that buy our product, we can go back and we can see, oh, they actually looked at our blog. Oh, they actually read these blog posts. and. Sometimes we'll know that they also interacted with us on LinkedIn. Like I said, LinkedIn content consumption is like super hard to track. So <laughs> I don't have yeah. a, a magic silver bullet for that, unfortunately. A lot of people would love that. Camille is asking, uh, does it depend on the business model or the sales cycle of a company? If you have a quick sale and quick sale, uh, quick sale versus an enterprise mid-market tool with longer sales cycles, would you choose to use gating differently? I'm not sure about that. I think there, there can be cases where you might, where you'll see that the people that you're targeting with your content might be like more, like if you have, let's say, a situation where you have a well-defined market and you have a lot of, and, and a lot of people in that market want to buy your product, then maybe gating can be a good idea because now you get to speak to a lot of people and the likelihood that they want to buy is quite high. So mm -hmm. I, I can say like, maybe if it is transactional and you somehow can manage to target a group of people that are very likely to want your product, then I think gating 
could and maybe like maybe sort of evil tactics like actually cold calling people once they gave their details could work mm -hmm. uh, but but i also say like if it's a it's a very long buying cycle and it's maybe hard to sort of pinpoint those people in the market that are looking for your product and you're trying to sort of do some more like demand gen motion influence people that might not even know that they have a problem yeah, then probably it's 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 less valuable to gate the content. Cool. In terms of gates, there is a question: how much information it's fair to ask for? Do you have opinions about that, Lars? I don't think you can define what is fair here. You can ask for whatever you need, what makes sense for you. Of course, like basically every time you add a question to a forum, this like the conversion will drop somewhat. Uh, sometimes might drop 5%, sometimes might drop 10%, sometimes might drop 50% if you ask about their credit card. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, so I would just limit it to information that is really useful. I would say for us, the content that we gate, we basically just want the email. That's what we want because that is what enables us to later on connect the dots of like, okay, we actually interacted with this person like six months before that company bought, right? We like to see that. For, for, for us, that is proof that the content is working, right? How do you stitch that customer journey? If you only ask for an email, okay, then how would you put that full customer journey together? I, it might need a bit of a deeper explanation. It's basically about recording that, that touch where that happened and then keeping that information for later use and then stitching it into a customer journey. Like we're doing, like this is, I'm strictly talking about selling B2B, right? So you're stitching that data of that person consuming your content. You want to stitch that into the entire journey of that company that is interacting with you, right? So you want to see, okay, that email, maybe later on it appears in your CRM system, or maybe the domain part of the email will match a company in your CRM system. So it's those things that enable you to stitch together the journey, right? So you kind of, you're able to build sort of a full picture, like, there's, of course, a lot of things you cannot see in digital reflections, like uh, people meeting at a convention and talking to each other. That's not recorded digitally anywhere. Luckily, we're happy about that. But there's also a lot of digital reflections of, of all the things that we do. And it's like all those digital reflections, you want to be as good as possible at sort of capturing that, building it into a model of the customer journey. And you, whenever somebody is interacting with you, you really want to try to know who is that like who is it so Very that you can remember it and later on say oh okay that person that was in my shop six months ago now actually came back and bought something right and yeah. then you can think about whether those things that you did six months ago were they the things that led to that business that you, you generated six months later maybe it was maybe it wasn't but if it was then you might want to do more of it yeah and I guess that's the part that ties back down to how you can help your management understand the data a little bit better. If you're good at capturing those pieces together, then it's easier to show your management if your initiatives are working, if if yeah. the prospects that are coming in are actually consuming it. And I think that was a very much of a fun of a talk as well. Kind of the patience from the management that you have to wait and to show the data versus to gate everything and just push everything to sales, whatever leads those are. But from your experience, Lars, now you have been working with a lot of clients who both 
prefer to gate a lot of stuff, ungate a lot of stuff. How is the general tendencies going? Because sometimes it feels like LinkedIn is in the bubble of ungating everything. But how are your clients working with gates and ungates? What kind of considerations do they have? I think like pretty much what we're seeing, but I, I do agree that there's in general a push towards ungating more content. And like I said, I think that that's good. I think fundamentally, a lot of the sort of go-to-market tactics that are employed around gating content are not very productive and they're super annoying to be a part of, right? It's annoying to be cold called after you downloaded a piece of content. So I think in general, sort of like there's a push towards ungating and and I think most people are just seeing that some of those sort of tactics that came with gating content are not very productive. Then they're looking for other ways of other tactics, right? Yeah, understand. Very interesting. So we have spoken about the cost of gating, a little bit about the user experience from your side, Lars. When you are on the page, you mentioned you have some companies that you look look up after and you think that they're cool. How do you feel about gated content? And like, does it affect the experience of the brand itself? Yeah, I think it's always super, <laughs> super risky to sort of assume that other people are like yourself but um so if i'm to talk about sort of my own consumption of content i would say i often give fake emails like when when content is gated if i let's say because a company might have content that i'm interested in but i'm not interested in that product and i'm not interested in engaging with the company as such but i also sometimes provide an email address if it is a company that i care about and where i think okay i might actually Maybe not today, because if I wanted the product today, I'd sign up for a demo or ask to talk to someone or I would, you know, try the free product, whatever options they have. But if it's, say, a, a, a company that is building a product that I know maybe later in my journey, like in our journey as a company, we will need that type of product, you know, then I might provide my real details and I would sort of also not be annoyed if I'm cold call because I actually want to learn about that product. I just don't want to buy it right now. Yeah, I, but right. I do think that in general, like that case, like if you want to buy, you will be in another form, right? Yeah. I think yeah. it's a, the tactics around sort of aggressively pursuing sort of uh, like handing off form fills from gated content to sales directly. It, it doesn't work for us. No, there's a question from Schmidt. If you don't have gates, how do you stitch together the customer journey when all the yeah. content is gated? Yeah, I mean, so that's a bit sort of tech like, but basically, even if you're not gating the content, there are many cases where your identifiers will still sort of remain in the browser of the user, even like three, four, six months later. And then if at that point, then that person requests a demo or signs up for a free product or asks for a sales call, then you can think you have the same effect as what you had with the gated content. You have sort of an identification event on your website and you can, it's easy to stitch together then. Of course, like cookies or identifiers might have been deleted and then you can't do it. I think the other option you have is like you look at IP addresses. And, and I think this depends a lot on where you're selling and who you're selling to. But if you're selling U.S. market, medium to large size businesses, then IP detection is super good. And you can stitch a lot of data together using IP addresses. The more you sort of move towards smaller companies and sort of... Uh, the fringes of the market, the less good it will be, but you will have some some data being stitched together based on IP addresses as well. 
those would be the main two things you can do. So it's either like you have sort of a surviving ident identifier that you can stitch together when you have a form fill later on, or you have an IP address. And in, in the case of the IP address, of course, you don't know who the person is, but you know who the company is. So you won't be able to see it was this person who, who looked at the content, but you'll be able to say somebody from this company looked at the content. All right. Half an hour is almost gone, but if there are any last minute questions, we're very happy to answer them as well. And while we're waiting for the answers, I promise to mention it a third time. We are on Product Hunt today. And our content analytics product is out in Product Hunt. Go over and upload us. It's very important yeah. for and us. And maybe like one thing is like for us, this like the content analytics product we put out, that is also some of the answer to how you can sort of continue to see and demonstrate value of content without gating it, right? Because now you're capturing sort of, you have a product that helps you understand like this person looking at the content actually later on bought from you or was part of a buying journey, right? I think it's a very beautiful wrap up because yeah. yeah, even if you don't gate it, then you would know which of the content is performing and where your prospects are coming from when consuming these pieces of the content. So it is one of a kind analytics like one more ad, I promise to say the three times, I'm saying it the fourth time. <laughs> it's like product hunt. Yeah, exactly. Product hunt, go hunt, guys. All right. It doesn't seem like we have any more questions and we are on the top of the hour. It was a pleasure. It was fun. We're gonna do it again. If you have any ideas of the topics, then we would love to pick them up again the next time. So thank you, Lars. We hope you like listening to us. Subscribe to our podcast and the ones that we have been guests on. And if you have any feedback for us, uh, just do let us know. And should there be a guest that you think we should be talking to, then like pitch us. We're looking forward to seeing you.